0: This morning, we are going to uh, jump back into our Restored series. We have been going through the book of Mark now for 11 months. And ironically, we are now in the 11th chapter. Um, There are 19 chapters, I believe. So I don't know how this works for us squeezing it in by the end of the year. So uh, 16. All right, we're going to make some progress here. But we are in Mark chapter 11. If you get your Bibles, find your Bibles. The verses will be behind me as well. Mark 11, starting in verse 12 to 25 today. And so we are going to uh, we're going to hit three different passages, kind of complicated passages, kind of familiar passages, um, but it's it's there's there's a powerful thought here, and I want us to dive into it. Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 12. Um, and so this is kind of the roadmap that we're going to follow today. There's actually three different kind of sections in this passage, and so verses 12 through 14 is the fig tree, which is nothing but leaves. Verses 15 through 19 is the temple, which is nothing but thieves, and in verses 20 through 25 is the lesson that we're going to learn, mountain into the sea. It rhymes, so that's good, that's helpful, and it's a bit of a roadmap for us this morning. Um, but before we get into that, I want to share just a really quick story that kind of ties in to this thought, and that is, uh, that is about my grandma's coleslaw. Now I know that's not everybody's favorite side dish but heading into Thanksgiving coming up here who loves coleslaw just I'm just thank you all right I do too I love coleslaw, especially my grandma Betty's signature dish. It was her, it was it was her pride and joy. Every time that our family would get together for the holidays, she would have it in her, her crystal dish, and uh, it would always be placed right next to you know the the turkey or the ham. And it was just Grandma Betty's signature dish was the coleslaw, and I loved it growing up. Looked forward to it growing up, um, every holiday. I was about 17 or 18 years old, probably being impatient for dinner and/or for lunch, and kind of snuck into the kitchen to, to grab a bite while grandmas and grannies were, were cooking. And uh, and I saw something that I'll never forget. It caused me to question my entire childhood, and the deep root of betrayal still exists today. Um, and it was this picture of my loving grandmother, um, who just was a saint, uh, except for this moment. Um, she, she had a tub of Kroger brand coleslaw and was scooping it into her crystal dish, of which I watched her then walk over to the family table and place it in the centerpiece of the meal. And I thought, did that just happen? <laughs> Come to find out, I was the only one that didn't realize that Grandma famous signature dish of coleslaw was brought to us by Kroger each and every year. Still a little bitter about that, grandma. But that true story and illustration is um, almost exactly what is happening in this passage this morning. Starting in verse 12, let's read again. This is Mark 11. Verses 12, 13 and 14. it says this: "On the following day, when they came from Bethany, they being Jesus and the disciples, he says he was hungry. Jesus was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig leaf, a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Say that with me, nothing but leaves. for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Jesus was hungry. And uh, it just reminds me of his humanity. Anytime I see in scripture that says Jesus was hungry, I'm encouraged um, because that's kind of what I feel right now. It's about almost lunchtime. Um, but Jesus was hungry. And so he sees a fig tree that's in leaf. And at this time of year, which would have been about April, um, that tree should not have been in leaf as it pertains to fig trees. The rest of them were dormant, but this one fig tree is in full bloom. It is in leaf. But he goes over to inspect it. He walks over to get some breakfast. He, he pulls into the, the fig filet <laughs> to see if there are any figs. I've been, I've been wanting to use that all week long. <laughs> really proud of that one. Um, strong. Uh, he, he wants, he's, looking for, he's looking for a chicken biscuit, but it's, uh, this analogy probably works better with Popeye's because there were none to be found. There were no <laughs> chicken biscuits. There was no figs. There was no fruit whatsoever, and this angers Jesus. He is not happy about this. There, it's just all leaves, nothing but fruit, and he perpetuates the condition of the tree and, and just allows it to wither and die. He curses the tree. It was a counterfeit. It was an imposter. It was not what it said it was, much like grandma's coleslaw. It was, it was a fig tree. It was guilty of false advertising. All leaves and no figs. In fact, he ends up really using this parable and this illustration to honestly talk about um, the, the, the Israelites and um, the Jewish nation and the temple, which is the next passage. You really can't read verses 12 through 14 and not see how this is a setup and a tie-in and an illustration to the temple and the coming destruction of it. So we move ahead, verses 15 through 19 says this, and they came to Jerusalem. So they left Bethany. They go up the mountain, up the hill to Jerusalem. And it says, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer'?" for all nations. And anytime you see it say, is it not written or it is written, it's referring to an Old Testament passage. It's referring to an Old Testament prophecy. And so they would have absolutely known what he was referring to when he says, is it not written? And it's referring to Isaiah 56, 7, which says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Jesus is getting aggravated. What it was supposed to be was not happening. He's a little hangry at this point too, which that helps or doesn't help. He's frustrated, disappointed. And it says, but you have made it a den of robbers. If you remember last week, Darren shared uh, about... John chapter 10 when it talks about he refers to the Pharisees and the religious leaders as robbers and thieves who enter the gate another way other than through Jesus there was the only way those that entered another way he called robbers and thieves John 10:1 John 10:10 10, 10. back to Mark 11:18 it says and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him now they're mad for they feared because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. The temple was supposed to be a house of prayer. It was supposed to be a place of meditation, a place to worship him, a quiet place to be in his presence where heaven met earth, a place of sacrifice and an acknowledgement of sin and expression of faith. Unfortunately, in Jerusalem at this time, the, the quietness and the goodness and the holiness um, was far removed. In fact, it had become a scam. The temple of itself had become a bit of a scam. See, on the outer courts, and there was kind of like a bazaar that was happening in the outer courts amongst the, um, the chief priests, the religious leaders, the, the marketplace vendors, they were selling and buying, and, and, and this is kind of why Jesus was getting so upset. So for instance, when you would come into the temple, you would bring a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was to be a spotless lamb, your best lamb in your flock. The most spotless, pure lamb, you would bring that as a sacrifice. You would bring it to the chief priest, and the chief priest would then either approve or disapprove of that particular lamb before you brought it to, in, into the temple. The problem with that was is that the chief priests were in business running a side hustle with the vendors for additional sheep. So what would happen is they would bring the sheep. The chief priests would say, "I disapprove of that sacrifice. It's not good enough." However, we have these over here that are perfect. You can use these, and they would charge them ten times the amount that they were supposed to. Another example would be for you to go into the temple, you would have to have you would have to pay a half shekel temple tax. The problem was people were traveling and pilgrimaging from all over the place and they didn't have the proper currency so they had to have an exchange. Well, the exchange rate was 25% of what it was supposed to be. And it mentions where he turns over the tables. Specifically, he calls out those who sold pigeons. The reason that's in there is because if you were poor, not wealthy enough to even have your own sheep or purchase your own sheep, if you were poor, you could bring a dove or a pigeon as a sacrifice, And if you didn't even have your own dove or pigeon, you could purchase a dove or a pigeon conveniently at the temple for 40 times the going rate. This made Jesus furious. This is a picture of righteously angry Jesus. He had absolutely enough of that. He drove them out, turned over their tables. He stopped everything. And in fact, it says he was teaching them, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He cleansed the temple in the same way he cursed the fig tree. In both cases, they were pretending to be something they weren't. Nothing but leaves, nothing but thieves. In verse 18, the chief priests, in verse 18 reads this, and the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, they all heard it and were seeking a way to destroy Jesus for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. It's interesting, the crowd was astonished. They had finally received an advocate in Jesus. Jesus was actually going to bat for them, trying to clean this thing up because it was not what it was supposed to be, but those in the temple, they became furious and they were looking for a way to crucify him. He was threatening their, Jesus was threatening their position, their power, their authority, the extra money that they were earning on the side, And of course, in a few short days later, they would crucify him. This is all a setup. So what's the summary? The fig tree in the temple. Well, the fig tree represented religious appearance and activity. It looked like something that it wasn't. Perhaps many of us have an abundance of leaves and no fruit. We try to cover our mess with really fancy leaves, big leaves, and reminds us in Genesis when Adam and Eve they hid themselves and covered their shame with what? Fig leaves. We have spiritual busy work, Christian to-do lists, religious things, seemingly good things on the surface, but all the wrong intentions trying to earn our way. And his response to the temple is kind of reminiscent, perhaps, to even. Our experience with Western culture and Western church today, where it's become something that it wasn't supposed to be. In some ways, we we've made idols of men, we twist scripture to fit agendas, we promote politics, put on a great show, nothing but leaves and nothing but thieves. So Jesus is cleaning house. He's upset, he's disappointed. So what's the takeaway? What is he trying to say here? And it's interesting as we continue on to verses 20 through 25 in chapter Mark. They, the next day they pass by, they, they, they leave Jerusalem. They're going back through Bethany and they pass by the fig tree, the withered fig tree. It says, and they passed by in the morning and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. As if he was surprised that that happened. Verse 22, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you, your trust passes. A seemingly incongruent thought. His response and his answer doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface. It's like he just changes the subject. In fact, when James and I and Darren and David we sat around a table a few weeks ago, kind of stirring over the scripture, we we honestly sat there for about 15 minutes looking at each other, kind of scratching our heads like, what is Jesus talking about? Because it seems as if he just takes a total right turn, doesn't even answer the question. Or does he? It's in verse 22. It says, have faith in God. Four simple words, have faith in God. That's his response to Peter's question about the fig tree. And then he says in verse 23, Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. What mountain do you think he was referring to at this point? Where had they just left? In the context of this passage and with his impassioned plea to rid themselves of their religion, to cleanse the temple, could he actually be referring to the temple mount? The idea of tossing man's version of corrupt religion aside, a workspace religion of doing things and the dog and pony show and living up to this law, of course, was also uh, given to Moses on a mountain. Adding and subtracting from it and reminding us to put our faith in God as the only way, the truth and the life. That all the sacrificing and the bloodshed of the temple would no longer need, be needed for forgiveness he would be the sacrifice, the final sacrifice. He was so upset that, what, that his house became something that it was not supposed to be. The corruption, the, um, the exploitation of the church and the temple and religious leaders, all of it would just be cast into the sea. And he's just reminding Peter and reminding his disciples to put your faith not in those things, but in me. and even perhaps another layer deeper, the Temple Mount was actually, anybody know the name of that mountain? Mount Moriah. Do we know what happened at Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah was where Abraham, out of obedience to the Lord, was asked to bring his one and only son, Isaac, up to the top of that mountain. And through his faithfulness, through Abraham's incredible faithfulness to to even try to, Attempt that. God arrives and provides a way. And here we are years later where the Lord is saying, I'm going to be, because of your faithfulness, I'm going to be faithful and provide a way on the same mountain. It's incredible. It's interesting that he is talking to Peter about this because who would Peter become? Peter would become the rock in which his new church would be built upon. He came to restore the temple, restore the church. And we get a glimpse of what this church looks like in the next few years in Acts 2.42, famous verse 42 through 44, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. My, My house will be a house of prayer. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed, all who put their faith in Christ, all who trusted in him had all things in common. That is what the church was supposed to look like all along. Not this other thing that it became. James Boyd shared this quote a few weeks ago um, as we dove into the first part of chapter 11 by N.T. Wright. I want you to think on this this morning. It says, the longer you look at Jesus, the more you will want to serve him in his world. That is, of course, if it's the real Jesus you're looking at. Plenty of people in the church and outside it have made up a Jesus for themselves and have found that this invented character makes few real demands on them. He makes them feel happy from time to time, but doesn't challenge them. Doesn't suggest that they get up and do something about the plight of the world, which is, of course, what the real Jesus had an uncomfortable habit of doing. He came to cleanse the temple, and he's coming this morning to perhaps just cleanse your heart, ask you to check your heart, and ask the question what part of religion are you holding on to? Are you still climbing the mountain that he already climbed on your behalf? You can find comfort in the fact that he's already done it. You don't have to work your way. You don't have to, the song we just sang, to earn your way. This reckless love was for you. He invites us to simply believe. Put your faith in God is what it says. That's it. Nothing else. You know, it's interesting. um, We all have to have our moment where we do that in our life I was I was kind of born into the church i've been in the church since I was in diapers literally I remember sitting on the lap uh, my dad's lap as he drove uh, a, a Sunday school bus uh, around around town in Ohio picking up kids for Sunday school and Sunday mornings. I would join him for that and been in church every Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night my entire life um, was the kid that was uh, leading Bible studies at church and see at the poll rallies like <laughs> I've been there, done that. But it wasn't until I had to realize that I wasn't born into the faith. I had to have the faith to be born again. It had to become my faith. And I had to understand that I could do all these things and work hard, check the box, look the part, say the right thing. But it wasn't until it became obvious to me that it was my faith. Faith in the Lord that it became real, that that mountain that He climbed was for me. Mark 11:25, it's so interesting that he closes with this verse and this passage, and this thought to Peter. Mark 11:25 it says, "And whenever you stand praying, so we're going to stand and we're going to pray, so go ahead and join me and stand. Whenever you stand praying. What's the next word? Forgive. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This verse um, is taken from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Another mountain moment where he is saying faith and forgiveness are together. This is all one thought. Your forgiveness is available through your faith in him. And to not having to climb the mountain, check the box, do these religious things. Darren mentions some of us have been burned along the way doing all of those things. We can give it over to the Lord and put our faith in him forgive and be forgiven. Let's pray this morning. God, it says in your word that your house shall become a house of prayer. Lord, forgive us for adding to it, for subtracting from that, for making it something it's not supposed to be. Lord, forgive us. Lord, that we would come to you with clean hands pure hearts Lord that we would seek your face or that we would recognize you as our savior that the blood of your son was enough Or that you died the death for us you were the spotless lamb Lord but then you arose you defeated death Lord we thank you for Um, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for tossing the mountain aside, allowing us to rest in you, to put our faith in you. Lord, help us to forgive as you have so greatly forgiven each and every one of us. To put our faith in you. God, even this week as we stumble through, help us to be reminded to put our faith in you, not, of, not that we try to earn it or try to work harder or do better for the sake of just doing better, but that we would do it in response to your love, through the good news of the gospel of your son. We thank you for your word, how it speaks to us, how it transforms us. Lord, help us to live in your word. Lord, thank you for the model of the the church, Lord, that we'd break bread together, we would fellowship, that we would sing songs, we would serve others, we would have these things in common, we would see great things happen in this church, in our church family, in this community. Thank you for this time together. It's in your name we pray, amen.